0: Welcome to the Nightcap. I wanted to let you guys know a little bit about this week. We're going to do what's called uh, Rapid Fire. Uh, It's Independence Day Rapid Fire. We're going to go over uh, the World Cup and the NBA uh, and the current states, make some predictions on the World Cup side, talk about free agency, how teams are moving, the state of the NBA moving forward. Uh, But it's going to be our last week for a few weeks talking about sports, so that's why we're kind of doing Rapid Fire to get them uh, both caught up. And then we have the five things you need to know. A little bit uh, on the serious side for three of them. We talk about the Trump administration, things that have been happening over the week. We also talk about a little sports with the NBA and college football. So uh, tune in and then stay for the song of the week by uh, Mr. Whitmore. And a little Independence Day song for everyone. Hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Nightcap. Check it out. Mike, hit the music. to the Nightcap. I am your host, John Michael, and as usual, we will start with the five things that you need to know. Kicking off this week, we're going to start with two words that you've likely heard over the last two months, trade war. Now, as the smoke clears from the fireworks celebrating our nation's holiday, uh, or our nation's birthday, it's not surprising that the focus of several news stories today centered around the economy of our nation. Starting at the end of this week, China will begin imposing its response to U.S. tariff hikes on steel and aluminum, With their own round of tariff hikes. They will be targeting Trump's base, imposing tariffs on farming and agriculture, which will be coupled with the EU's tariffs on bourbon and Harley Davidson. If you're wondering why they are targeting those areas, it is because those are the people that supported Trump and helped get get him elected. But both the EU and China have gone out of its way to make sure that every citizen knows they did not start this trade war, but they will return penalties. Now that we have given a, given you a little bit of info on the current situation and what it looks like, we have to ask, why did President Trump choose to start a trade war? It's for two reasons. First, as retaliation for China stealing our intellectual property, which is a very real thing. Over the past five years, we have continued to hear about companies in the U.S. being hacked, including Target, Sony, wireless and Internet carriers, government offices, basically anywhere and everywhere that's connected to the inter- Internet. China is hell-bent on being the number one, economy in the world, and the only way that they can do that is basically by getting inside of these large companies and stealing their trade secrets. Silicon Valley made a hilarious joke about this when Jin Yang went back to China with information and started a bunch of U.S. companies in China and just replaced their name with new. So there was new Facebook, new Pied Piper, new Google. This is a real problem, but these tariffs and tax hikes don't do anything to deter China from doing this in the future. It's affecting some, it's actually affecting some of our allies more than it's affecting them. Germany, Canada, England are being forced to grow stronger relationships with China to make up for the product loss that they're getting from the US. The second reason that we would have a tariff hike is because of the trade deficit. Now you've heard that word a lot and no one really has done a good job to explain about what that actually means. A trade deficit basically means we import more than we export. And yes, the US imports far more than it exports. But here's the interesting thing. That's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a fairly normal thing for a a first-world country to do. First-world countries are in a transition from industrially-driven countries to service-driven countries. Ninety percent of the U.S.'s GDP last year was service-driven. Good example, my job. What I do in my nine-to-five is I basically sell telecommunications equipment and I consult people on how to buy it. What is the thing that I have noticed over the six to seven years of doing that? Hardware is not as important as software anymore saw everything that used to be these big, huge switches and routers and things that controlled our phones and internet are now becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and more software-driven. They're turned on and controlled by the cloud. So what does that mean? You need less manufacturing in our country. So the developing world is what is investing in manufacturing. So a country like China would be making more forks, spoons, knives, dishwashers. It's not, not uncommon. So if that's not a bad thing, then why are we upset about it? Because if you're a 74-year-old person, the world looks a hell of a lot different today than it looked when you were younger. So you have to blame someone because you're damn sure not blaming the evolution of the planet because you don't understand it. So saying the world is changing and the nature of economy isn't your best answer? No better way than to blame someone else and to start a trade war. But who's going to get the brunt of that? We are. So now for the next thing, we're going to college football. Now, if you've listened to this podcast or any of the other podcasts on the shift division network, just <laughs> media network of podcasts, I am a big, I'm a bigger college football fan than I am an NFL, NFL fan. I love the Miami hurricanes. If you've seen or been through our apartment, you will see plenty of memorabilia and you will actually even see me wearing Miami gear in the appropriate times of the year. Well, my passion has begun to meet my conscience when it comes to one of my favorite things. The NFL has been marred with the concussion problem over the past 20 years and has been dealing with suicides and depression rates increasing with, while being bombarded with mounting research and statistics with CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. You might remember it from the Will Smith movie where he famously says, you tell the truth, you tell the truth. You might ask, what's the NFL problem have to do with college football? Well, last month, Tyler Helensky of Washington State took his own life, and that is just one of many college football players that have begun to experience depression, suicidal thoughts, and unfortunately, a few have committed suicide while in college or, or, while, or directly after it. And, hit, and Tyler Helensky's autopsy showed that he, in fact, had CTE. In fact, rec- the recent research on the issue has found that college football players have tested almost the exact same rate of CTE as NFL players. And what's even scarier, three out of 14 high school football players that have had their brains tested have been proven to have CTE. But why is college football different than the NFL? For one thing, the NFL is a job, a very lucrative one at that. So whenever I talk about it, I obviously get hit with they make millions of dollars. But it's also being played by adults starting at age 20 to 21. And college football athletes are different. College football is made up of 17 to 21 year olds fresh out of high school, leaving their families for the first time in some cases and entrusting not only their future as an athlete, but their future as a human being In far too many years, the NFL, and the the CFP, which is college football have hidden the science from everyone uh, as to what repeated head trauma has done to the player. They have seen the increased rate of Alzheimer's, short term memory loss, depression, suicidal thoughts, and the hard time that these athletes have had getting jobs after they finish the sport as the evidence mounts we have to begin to ask the question how much proof do we need to then ask is the risk worth the reward in college football I think we're finally getting the answer it's not in the NFL we can use money we can say that they make millions and millions of dollars and they're able to get their families in some situations out of the situation they're at and it makes a it it's life-changing for many generations of that family so it's on it's in that in that case arguable but you're not getting paid money to play college football now you can say the education but how much is that education worth if you're not able to use it and what is the quality of that education with the reports that we're getting of schools basically passing some players putting in them in easier classes and in some cases like we've seen in uh duke probably helping them cheat so how much responsibility does the school hold well last year college football made over nine billion dollars and the players profited none off of that So you have to say they kind of hold a lot of the responsibility. At NYU, they had an issue, which I was listening to a podcast recently. NYU had an issue where a student had jumped off of a building. They replaced the glass that was in that building with plexiglass to fortify it so that that could not happen moving forward. Well, a few years later, a student figured out a way to pop out one of those plexiglass windows and jumped out to his death. They later spent a lot of money and revitalized the buildings so that they created a fortress where it is impossible for you to jump off of the top of those buildings. If NYU saw out of two suicides that they needed to change the way that they constructed every building that they had, the college football has seen more than that. And saying that they don't have proof doesn't cut it anymore. And maybe we have to be the ones to express concern for these athletes and at what age consent. Is actually viable so moving on to point three it is now 55 days since the zero tolerance policy started by the Trump administration has begun and over a week since Trump signed an, an order to reunite parents with their children and we still do not have exact numbers on how many children were taken at this moment we have so little information that we cannot conclude how many children the government has placed in foster care has it their detention centers where they have been placed and how many have actually been reunited As usual, the Trump administration is avoiding the answer, which has led Congress and news organizations to go to these detention centers where they have been met and told that they they cannot go in and they have to return in two weeks with a made appointment. Trump continues to delay and delay and delay as he has not not gotten the money for the wall or new legislation on immigration from Congress, which is, as usual, deadlocked. It leads us to ask, how long will this go on? How long will the outrage last? And I think that's what Trump's betting on. I think he's betting on the fact that we'll forget about it and he can just continue to do it without anyone caring. And that is why we have to continue to push it. Uh, Last Saturday, we had a March here in Tampa about this uh, part of the resistance, trying to let people know not only across the country, but in the Tampa Bay area that we care about what happens in these with these issues. And we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to push. We can continue to let them know that some things are not acceptable and having a zero tolerance policy. Where you actually, where you actively lock up people seeking asylum or refugees, or sometimes just being picked up by ICE because their paperwork's delayed, you have to ask, how humane are we going to be as a society and as Americans? Because we're painting the picture for how history will look at us, and it's starting to look pretty ugly. And on to point number four, the NBA. Now, as we as free agency roars on with LeBron and Boogie and other teams trading and switching up and trying to build powerhouses, we see each team loading up on superstars or bargain role players as they can try to make their team better. But well, one team stands out, stands out to me because it shouldn't be there, and that's the Indiana Pacers, a team that was all but lost when Paul George left last year. A few years passed when they were battling LeBron in the Miami Heat for Eastern Conference supremacy, but now they have found new hope, and in none other than Victor Oladipo who has the Pacers as a contender in the East again. This time last year, he was being shipped from out of OKC, some calling him a bust. It was suggested that he might even be out of the league in a few years. That's until last season, where he averaged over 24 points a game, over two steals, over four assists, and around five rebounds for the season. At times, he was one of the one or probably top two or three for the MVP race at certain points. So what changed? The answer is where he was playing. The NBA is the ultimate star sport. It has been thought for a long time that you, if you are good enough, you can be good no matter what team you play for, and you can make that team good. But Oladipo's proves, case proves a little bit different of a scenario. Maybe who you play with and the system around you matters more than we thought in the NBA. Look at the inverse. The Boston Celtics. They have managed with duct tape, spit, and glue to somehow make it deep into the playoffs each of the last two seasons with their stars injured. Over the last few seasons, they, have ta- they take a before thought to be average player. Made them into a star in that, in that system, only to see them crash back to earth after they moved on to their new team. Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, a couple of great examples of that. OKC had Oladipo, Westbrook, Durant, and Harden on their team at one point or another since 2010. And what did they have to show for it? One finals trip. Whether it's coaching or the front office, one thing's for sure. It definitely wasn't what was happening on the court that made the difference. All right, and for the final thing for this week, I want to discuss something I saved for the end. It's probably the most troublesome story that we have over the last, well, to be honest, since the beginning of the Trump administration. Last week, Supreme Court Justice Kennedy stepped down, opening the second Supreme Court seat Trump has had since he's come into office. Kennedy, one of the the moderate justices, leaves our country at the whim of Trump. I know that there's been a lot of hyperbole about this, saying that this is the biggest thing that has happened in the Trump administration, and that this changes the country for the next 50 years, but it's not hyperbole. It's actual fact. This is the biggest thing that has happened during the Trump administration. This is what the pin- the Republicans sold their souls for. They hate tariffs. Trump's doing tariffs. They hate big government. Trump's expanding the power of the presidency. They hate the wall. Trump's building, trying to build the wall. They hate what we're doing in North Korea. They hate shit the shitstorm that is his twitter they hate all of trump's politics but they put all of that aside for this chance to control the supreme court and they have been waiting for this while there are many cases coming up legalization of wheat the antitrust cases voting rights cases but they have targeted one in mind and that is roe v wade and that is the freedom for women to have the choice with what to do with their bodies now It's as devices of an issue that we have in this country. I mean, my dad is a staunch Republican, is of the belief that it's settled, settled president. Like there's been three generations of women that have been raised with the ability to have an abortion or to seek birth control or to seek the, uh, or just to have the freedom with what to do with their body, to be honest with you. And it looks like, I mean, we had people on CNN that were saying that were legal analysts saying that within the next year, up to 20 states will legal or will make abortion illegal in their state that this is the end of roe v wade this is it's done it is done for good and while that might sound like fear-mongering i think it's more real than we can imagine if you look at the christian evangelical side of the republican party this is all they care about they have been willing to put up with president pussy grabber they have been willing to put up with people basically defrauding the government and like covering up travel travel records and allowing the government to pay for private flights here and there they've allowed infighting they have allowed a person that they cannot stand as a human being to be their voice for the country strictly because he promised them he would get them a supreme court justice that would help them over to roe v wade so how should we feel about that well If you're one of the 72% of the people in this country that feel like uh, Roe v. Wade should stand and that abortion should be legal in this country, it's already settled. If you're the other 38%, I'm here to tell you that I understand. I understand that you feel like, because of your beliefs, abortion is wrong. To be honest with you, I'm pretty uncomfortable with it myself. I don't like the idea of a child being killed. I don't. But at the same time, I also live in a country that has separation of church and state. But more importantly, I have a faith that tells me that I have to love people despite their decisions and despite what they want or what they believe. So while at times I do not believe with people or believe the same as people, I don't feel like you legislate your belief system. I don't feel like you force people to do what you believe is right because you believe it. I don't feel like that's fair. I don't feel like that's just. I don't feel like any person in the first century church would do that. And so while I am a Christian, and while I am someone who who believes in Jesus and in Christ, I don't know if this is the right plan of action. And I don't know if making it illegal is. Where I stand, I let people know what I believe. I let people know as a child of adoption that I would hope that in, in certain circumstances they would give the child a chance whether through adoption, foster care, other relatives, whatever means that you feel or are most comfortable with. But at the same time, I do say with the same breath, my mom had the right to choose whether she wanted to give birth to me or not. She did, because she's a human being too, and she has a choice, and she's not damned because of that choice. A lot of times people want to point to justice in our current, our current political system when we talk about immigration and many of the laws. Well, when I look at it as faith, justice is meant for one thing, and that is meant to let people know where they've gone off or they're, they've gone right. It's to give them a lighthouse. Justice is meant to for for, for sharpening iron to make people better. But after you, you've done that, then you love people. You don't try to punish them for their actions. The fact that people are considering making this illegal is atrocious. And I don't think you're helping your case at all. So these are the five things you need to know. Please be aware of them. Please do research on them on your own. Please search articles. I read up to six articles for each of these points that I have just in researching them. Please do the same. And please realize that your voices are heard. As we've seen with the protests and the rallies, we can move the needle. And you can make a president that is very sensitive to how people feel about him move. So make him move. And now we're going to do the rapid fire with three of our uh, favorite guests. So get ready. See you guys. Hello. And the first guest on the rapid fire interviews, we have a uh, few of them lined up is Vic. We're doing a recap of the world cup so far. Vic or Vic, I think you went undefeated, correct for the world cup so far. I, I did. I'm happy to get all the games ranked. Right. In fact, he went so undefeated. He did win our bet last week. Uh, you correctly play, picked Sweden over Switzerland, which was maybe the weirdest game of the World Cup. I think it might have been the worst game to watch. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Um. Well, Sweden definitely played bad defense, which I knew they were going to come out playing that that hard defense. Um, there's a few moments there where I thought Switzerland was going to take it.
2: Mm-hmm. but
1: Sweden just, just hung on. They uh, relied on that one goal, and they just – Punched it
0: through. Yeah, I was really surprised too because like the catalyst for Switzerland in the last game was basically putting uh, that little that that I, I say little. He's probably like five six. Um, the little the midfielder they had in the center of the field. He was the one that had the solo goal where he got the ball and scored the second goal in the game, the qualifying game. Um, and then they had him on the outside, basically just volleying balls from the right, the right end of the uh, the pitch, just the whole time. Like he he never came into the middle. Um, he was always out on the outside. It just seemed like they were trying to get a header in the whole game, or trying to just volley it in from the wing, and not really working anything in the middle of Sweden, Sweden's defense. I was really surprised because it was so different than what they had done in the group stage.
1: Yeah, they. I feel like they were they were definitely crossing a lot more, and I think they were relying on the the height advantage, but it just never it just never came through for them.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think it, I think they were definitely playing for that. The one thing that I will let our audience know is, if you've never watched the World Cup before, what we just watched in the last round was basically what you see right out of the group stage. There are certain teams that will play for a shootout. They don't think – they they either don't want to burn themselves out and get counterattacked or get beat by teams that maybe have better legs, which you saw in the Spain-Russia game. Spain was basically – after like Russia tied it, they're like, all right, we'll just play for – we're not going to expend the energy it has to take to win the game. We'll just get it the penalties, and they thought they would beat Russia, and didn't work out like that.
1: Yeah, I I definitely thought that game was was a it was Russia getting in the mind of Spain and kind of just bowling them. They, <laughs> you know, they got that. Seriously, they got that goal, and then. They, they just knew if they held on long enough, they could ride the momentum that they've had since the first game. Um, or since uh, uh Greek stage, and they had their fans behind them. And going into those penalties, I knew in the get that it was going to be uh, Russia taking that win.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I didn't really like the energy that was in Spain the whole tournament. I didn't think from the very first game where they played Portugal, I didn't like their energy. I didn't like how they looked. Um, I really didn't like their striker up at the front. He seemed to have – like, just kind of – it's kind of a similar thing with Russia where he just looks like a big lumbering guy that doesn't move really well. But he's just there for, like, headers and, like, the, the one-touch scores. It seems like the talents – like, more of the talents around him than, than necessarily he is. But uh, so let's go into the first game we have, we, which might it's, – it's probably a tie for the most exciting matchup we have uh, is Uruguay versus France. Uh, Uruguay, a team that has a lot of experience, a lot of veterans, um, but a lot of, a lot of speed. Against France, which is young and fast, and a lot of fun to watch in both teams.
1: Yeah, that's going to be an exciting match. The only thing that worries me is if Cavani is still hurt and he can't start. I mean, he's a he's a essential role on that team.
0: Some uh, would say he's the best player I mean, on their team so far this tournament, right? I mean, correct. They, yes.
1: I mean, I feel like he's the spirit of the team, and without him being out there, I think that's that spells trauma for for Uruguay.
0: I agree. I agree. He was... I mean, it, it goes without saying that he was the catalyst in the Portugal game. He scored both goals. But it wasn't just how he scored them. It was the energy he had along the whole thing. I think Suarez can be... Because Suarez plays for Barcelona. He's Obviously got some fame. He's got some commercials. He's kind of a little bit more reserved when it comes to his energy. Even after he scores a goal, he doesn't really ever get excited because he's been there before. Like when Cavani scores, it is literally like he is pouring his soul out. He like cries every time he scores. And I think that you can feel that energy. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. and Both of his goals were amazing goals. Mm -hmm. I mean, just incredible. The placement on that second goal was spectacular. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but going into his second goal celebration, he was pumped, he was very excited, had a lot of energy, and he jumped up, and when he landed, his, his facial expression completely changed. And I think that's when he hurt himself.
0: Oh, really? Just on the, uh, that moment? Man, and that's happened before. We've seen that happen. I mean, like the most famous one's Teddy Ginn. He returned the kickoff for a touchdown against Miami and then got injured in the celebration to the, the touchdown. And yeah. so, I mean, that, I mean, that does happen. Um, I will say this. I'm worried if Cavani if, – let's say Cavani is is uh, is healthy. I'm worried for so – there's a few teams that I won't say they're dirty, but I'll say that they play to the edge of the, – or they what is it called? They play to the end of the whistle. And Uruguay's one of those teams that is, like, especially in their mid and their defenders. They have some people sitting out this game because of yellow cards. And I worry with Klinsman, Mbappe – And Bagba, who are athletic but lanky players, I wonder how that contact and that, let's say, gamesmanship affects how they play.
1: I think it will. And I think without Cavani there, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Suarez. Um, France is fast, man. And what we saw in the last game, the way they were just running around. um, I mean, Argentina put up a good fight, but Mbappe and that team, I know they're young, but... They're playing like they've been there before.
0: Oh, absolutely. And
1: that's about that's, it, it, that trouble for Uruguay. I'm not saying that without Cavani, they can't win that game. But right now, I'm leaning more towards France taking that one.
0: How, how good does it look for the teams on that side of the bracket, though? Or, I mean, on the other side of the bracket. Because as you look at it, it kind of shapes up where France, Uruguay, Brazil, and Belgium really have like whoever makes it to the final I think is going to feel like they should be able to win it all because they've went through the murderer's row of the bracket
1: yeah that's true I mean it 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 says something when you can come out of on top on the bracket that was um what you would say I don't know
0: the heavier heavier,
1: challenging um but that that might hurt them as well. I mean, these players coming out, they might get cards or they might get hurt or they might just be tired. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to count the right side of the bracket out just yet, just because we don't know how the rest of the tournament's going to play out.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: coming out of the left side, I would say you would feel very proud of yourself if you can come out on top on that one.
0: Okay, so Uruguay, France. I've been on I've been on Francis bandwagon the whole tournament. I think I like them as a team. I think they have just it's kind of one of those things where kind of like the Golden State Warriors last last uh, this last playoffs they have the mo- I feel like they have as much talent as anyone else. It's if they can play up to that talent whether they win games or not. I think if especially if Cavani's injured, I think that they I would pick them. But I think I would pick them with Cavani playing because. I really like them from defense, mid, and, and uh, striker positions. I think they're strong at every position, including goalkeeper. And Uruguay really plays – I mean, it, it's hidden by how good their strikers are, but they play a really defensive forward. They're a very defensive forward team, and they like to leave their midfielders back and kind of just hope that those two you know, strikers have the talent and the, uh, the perfection to be able to win the game for them. Yeah,
1: so who are you gonna pick in that one? What are you thinking?
0: Oh, I'm picking France. I would have picked France even if okay. Cavani was playing.
1: Okay. No argument there.
0: All right, and so moving on from there. Oh, hey, what are you? Who, are you picking France then, since Cavani's injured, or are you gonna wait and see if he if he's able to play?
1: I'm gonna wait and see if he's able to play, but even then, even see it's tough because I I think Uruguay has the most heart, but I think France is just playing. They just look like they're having fun out there, and they're just connecting on all their passes, and they're just finding each other, okay, in the right place at the right time. So I'm I'm going to lean towards France for now.
0: All right, yeah. and Brazil, Belgium. This is the this is what most people would say is the best game of the tournament. Who do you pick, or what do you think is going to happen? In matchups, and then who do you think is going to win the game?
1: I think I think it's going to be Brazil, and this is why I think Belgium shows great heart staying in the in the Japan game, even being down 2-0 late in the game. But if you go down 1-0, even 2-0 to Brazil, you're not going to come back. Brazil's not going to let you climb back like Japan did. So they Belgium for Belgium to win, they need to start early. They need to attack early. But, I mean, every single time uh, Brazil's played a game and they're anywhere near the box, they're scary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Belgium's going to have to be the most perfect game uh, on the defensive side, and I just don't see that happening. I think is going to find his way uh, around the goal. I think he might uh, make some runs and lose some players, but I definitely think Neymar will score one, maybe even two goals in that game.
0: Yeah, I will say this. I think Belgium's biggest issue is they need to figure out who their starting 11 are because they had a different starting 11 in this game than they did in the game before, and when they put the two starters back in, they scored three goals. <laughs> so I think that should be like – all right, pick who your starting 11 is, but number one, like, have your most talented people on the field, you know? And I think that they didn't have, they don't understand their roster, and that kind of worries me a little bit. But if that, if the starting 11 that they have in this next game was the one who finished the game, that's a dangerous team, mainly because Brazil has no one on their team as tall as their two strikers are with that, with the guy with the fro in and then their main striker. Um, they have no one that's that tall and that athletic, and that, Those guys have speed and athleticism when it comes to, like, those up front strikers for Belgium. Um, I still think Brazil's more talented. I think watching Brazil play is if you, like, whenever you tell team like, people that aren't avid fans of a sport, like, if it's college football, you tell them, watch Alabama on defense. If you ever want to see the best defense you've ever seen, let them watch that. If you want to show a team on offense, you show them, like, the 2001 Rams, like the greatest show on turf. Like this is what offense looks like with all of the, like all the engines open and watching Brazil when they're flowing on offense is beautiful. That goal that uh, Neymar had where he's like basically dribbling it through the defense all the way to the right, just to dish it off to someone moving left and then to continue it for an arch. That's a basketball play. That's like a play you run on a, on an inbound pass and it was run so beautifully and passed so beautifully it was like one. Of, it was insane. I was like, man, who? It was kind of one of those ah moments where you go, this is why you practice that every day. And I think that Brazil is making soccer look look really pretty on on the field. And I I wouldn't bet against them either. But I will say this: I'm a big fan of momentum. Huge fan of momentum. And anytime you're down two zero and you come back, or two one, or whatever they're down, and they come back and win the way that Belgium did, scoring the way they did, and with that momentum that's a train and I don't want to be the person that's on the next stop. So I'm going to yeah. pick Brazil, but I'm going to, I'm definitely hedging my bets here. If I was betting it, I would definitely bet the over under two so that I could make sure I didn't lose my money.
1: Well, I'm sure Belgium is feeling like the underdog here. So,
0: Oh, they're not, I only think there's like more it.
1: pressure on, Brazil. they're not, I, I wouldn't say they're an underdog, but I'm, I'm sure everyone's picking Brazil. Oh, so yeah. they, they coming into the game with a chip on their shoulder, but, um, I might murder this name, but Romelo Lukaku mm-hmm. from Belgium, their forward. Mm-hmm. He has four goals. So Brazil can't sleep on him either. They need to lock that guy down.
0: No, not at all. He's huge. He is he's yeah, a yeah. big guy. Him and then the, I don't know the guy with the fro's name. I feel bad. I'm just saying the guy with the fro. But when those two are up at the front, those are two of the biggest strikers you've seen, and both of them can run. And that's dangerous. That's That's a dangerous matchup. And Lukaku is big enough where you're not knocking him down. Like Brazil can go ahead and, like, because uh, Brazil's another team that likes to likes to whine about calls, but also do some dirty shit on the side. So let's be honest about that. So I think we're both on the Brazil train. While we all while we also respect Belgium. Next game's Russia Croatia. I think this one's a no brainer. I don't think Russia has the quality that Croatia does on on the pitch. I honestly think that this is a setup for a really embarrassing game for them. But I want to hear how you feel about it.
1: Yeah, I think Croatia has the the talent, um, but Russia, but Russia, what Russia has right now is their defense, and um, I think they're just relying on on just doing enough to win the game or to get it to PKs. Um, I mean, the goalie during the PKs um, against Spain, he had all the momentum and he had the crowd behind him. So Russia can be dangerous if they can. Take in one goal and just extend the game long enough to get it to PKs. If that defense holds up, it could be scary. But I mean, Croatia has been running. Modric is looking superb, and um, I think they'll notch two goals in that game. I think it'll be a two-one result.
0: Okay, um, I think that I think that Croatia pulls this one out. Um, I think that Croatia just has a lot of talent, man. They're, they have a lot of talent and, and a superior number ten. Who just under it's kind of like the the game slowed down from a bit, and then that shootout was an all timer. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, Uh, and
1: that was that was that was insane. That was my heart was racing just watching it. Oh yeah, dude, that that was one of the better
0: ones. Oh yeah, that one. And then the game we're about to talk about, Sweden England, England and sweet England had one of the best shootouts that I've seen too. With a really, uh, what was? How old is their goalkeeper? Like twenty-one or something? He's a really young goalkeeper, and to step up in a in a situation that England's been in before and not done well in was pretty impressive. So, moving on to Sweden versus England, how do you feel this one plays out?
1: This one might be the toughest one for me, Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because Sweden, although they're not a perfect team, they do enough to just. Get the result. Um, we saw it in Switzerland, um, but they just—they just been doing this. They—they they get their one goal, the goal they need, and um, they defend. And England did not look pretty against Colombia, but I don't know if that was one of the games where they get their one bad game out of out of the way, and they come back hard against Sweden.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So this one's really tough for me. Um, I think I might—I think I might pick Sweden in this one.
0: Really, this is the first one we're going to disagree on. I'm picking England. I, th- I think that England, when they got up one 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 zero, I think they got comfortable. I think they were like, all right, one zero, just play smart, fundamental, and you'll keep them from scoring. And set pieces, if you're sloppy on set pieces, when you get comfortable, well, I feel like when teams get out of their mindset, like the one thing I liked that France did was even though it allowed Argentina to score, France stayed France, and they kept pushing. They kept pushing the drive, up, like pushing the ball up, pushing the ball up, pushing the ball up. And they stayed true to themselves and stayed attacking. England is the same team as France on the, on the I guess, the forward moving of their offense and the, the, the attacking style of play. They stopped doing that after they got up one nothing, and I didn't understand it. And so I was not surprised that Columbia came back in it. I was surprised they won the, the kickout. I think, like you said, this, I think this is a catalyst moment for them where they realize who they are. They realize what they have to play like to win. And I would not be surprised if England made it to the final. I am picking them over Sweden. Is that the game that we bet since we up uh, since we're continuing this for the next round? I'm currently down you to you fifty bucks. Are you confident enough to bet another fifty on Sweden?
1: Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that one. Okay. Because
0: if Sweden robs me of $100, bucks, i am going to be mad. I'm never going there. I'm never going to Sweden, ever, <laughs> never, ever, Yeah, I, th- I
1: think they're going to break your heart, J.M., and, and I would love to see you, especially when it had the same team <laughs> twice. So I'm <laughs> picking Sweden.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Well, going from this, I think we have some really exciting matchups. If it plays out how we do, and we have France versus Brazil in the semifinal, I would, that's a game, man. That is a game um, that you can only dream to expect in the World Cup, but I'm excited to watch it. Um, I'm com- contemplating taking off work tomorrow to watch the France-Uruguay game. I'm trying to consider.
1: Yeah, I'm going in late for sure. I've already, uh, it out with the people. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, really any of these four teams, if any of them advance Uruguay, France, Brazil, Belgium, that's, that's a finals quality game. So definitely don't miss that one. Um, that one's tomorrow. And then we got Russia, Croatia, um, on Saturday and Sweden, England on Saturday. Yeah. So and yeah, I, yeah. I, I definitely I definitely think the left side is gonna come out on top overall. Mm-hmm. Um what do you, what do you think is gonna be in the finals? Let's let's skip one more.
0: The final I, I betting like with my heart, I would say it would be England, France. But betting with my brain, I think it would be uh, England-Brazil is how I think it would probably play out. And that, like, to be honest with you, the storylines, if it's France versus England, are insane. The storylines, if it's Brazil versus England, are insane. I think, like, if England makes it to the final in this situation, it would be amazing. But I... I do want to say like people are making a really big deal about the fact that Russia's made it this far and their crowd and what that does for them in the stadium and how teams can't communicate because the stadium's so loud when Russia's playing. Maybe something the sneak up on Croatia. I'm not I'm not willing to bet it, but I I think there's something there for them with the the old milk, especially when they were rated the worst team in the in the world to qualify for the World Cup.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a possibility. Um yeah, so my heart, my heart has bold.
0: it. My heart has it as France, England.
1: Okay, I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to say it's going to be Brazil and Croatia in the
0: final. Oh, that'd be a really good game. It would be really exciting. I think it would be closer than people would expect it to be because I think Croatia is better. I think when you watch like Alexi Lawless and a lot of the guys really like break down this, the opinions they had before the the World Cup are affecting how they're predicting it moving forward. Yeah. And this thing's a living organism. I like the teams that started the tournament are not the same teams that they're here. Like going through this war of attrition and and how they've battled through. I think they're different teams than they are today. And uh, I think Croatia's extremely talented. I think so too. So, well, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we got Drew coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely, thanks for having me. No problem, buddy. All right, see you. All right, peace. Peace. Second portion of our rapid fire. This is Drew, who has been on here before. Uh, some craziness has been happening in the NBA over the last couple weeks. I figured it'd be a good time to give a rundown uh, before we uh, finish up free agency. What's up, man? Yeah, how you doing, Jam? Doing good. Doing good. Um, so, what size did you order your Lakers jersey in?
3: Oh, uh, my Lakers hate was dormant for about you know three four years while it's been terrible, and it is back full fledged. <laughs> uh, Ten times worse with LeBron on the team now.
0: <laughs> is it is it misconstrued though? Because I like Mike was just talking to me about this while we were getting ready, and he said, you know, like now they're talking about Kawhi not even wanting to come to the Lakers. And it's almost like, well, then what do we do this move for? Because we signed a bunch, of, we signed Stevenson, McGee, and Rondo uh, to team up with LeBron, and if we don't get a second piece, what the hell are we doing?
3: Yeah, I mean, I. I, I I like what they're doing. I think it came out to Read an article about you know them looking for hard-nosed playmakers, um, so they can basically post LeBron up a little more, which makes sense. You know, with Rondo and and uh, Stevenson bringing KCP back, um, you know, I, I get what they're trying to do, but also I also don't necessarily know you know what the end game is, mm. and um, I I think they're putting some weight on trying to you know, get boogie to LA because if they get him, then yeah, I think they do probably, you know, at least give the Warriors and the Rockets a run. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much of Rockets anymore after losing a Risa, But, um, you know, I think, I think the, the Lakers, you know, magic showed his, his greenness or, you know, his being the first, you know, free agent period that he's been a GM uh, with Rob Blanca you know they they released Randall and, and let him go over and sign with the you know renounced him and sign with the Pelicans. Which is I think in hopes of get Boogie and then didn't offer him.
0: Yeah. So craziest thing to me is they are playing they are paying Caldwell Pope twelve million dollars next year. <laughs> the Warriors are paying Boogie Cousins five point eight million dollars. That is insane to no me. Sense. It makes no sense. And yes, I understand you had to let your you. If you knew you weren't going to offer Cousins, why would you not sign Randall and then trade him? You know what I mean? Like, do something that moves him rather than just letting him walk away to the Pelicans. Who? How happy are the Pelicans right now with Mirtich, uh, Randall, and Anthony Davis? I mean, the,
3: the Pelicans are looking pretty good. They had a couple other signings, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to get annexed you know, into
0: it, the East, and they can probably make it to the Eastern Conference Finals.
3: yeah. I mean, it should be interesting. It'll be interesting in the East, you know, with, with LeBron going to the Western Conference, which, you know, the one thing I definitely thought of when, when I heard he was going to Lakers is that's that's in no way a basketball move. No. You know, I think he, he he's going out there. He, it's been pretty known that, uh, you know, he wants to be a billionaire, and that was one of his goals. And I think that this move for sure, you know, is going to try to solidify that for where he goes
0: after it. Yeah, um, I agree with that. But we'll, I
3: mean, we'll see what happens. There's there's still a lot that can happen if if they you know are able to trade for Kawhi. I guess maybe that puts them in the top four in the in the West. But even you know even then, there's the West is so stacked, and all those teams in the West have gotten better pretty much besides the Rockets. Yeah. You know, and to think that, that you had an opportunity to basically offer Boogie a mid level exception mid level mid level exemption, you know, bring him in at least you know let him live in LA and get a feel for the Lakers and play with LeBron. Why not? What do you have to lose, you what,
0: know? What do you have to lose? I don't understand why teams like Toronto, like Portland, like teams like Philadelphia, like there are a slew of teams of the Miami fucking Heat. <laughs> they they that could have offered this dude a mid level extension that have not like when you're talking about the Heat and you talk about teams like Golden State What are they – like? or the Phoenix Suns, they're really known for their medical staff and the ability for their medical staff to evaluate and get players healthy and players rave Mm -hmm. about those systems. And the fact they went to the Warriors, I was just – it sometimes feels like everyone else plays the game with an inverted remote control and the Warriors aren't. (laughs) It's just like they – like everyone's shifting with the direction that it should make sense, but it's going in the opposite direction. It's like that guy on Halo that can't control the sniper because he's playing with the inverted remote. It's terrible. (laughs)
3: And, I, I mean, I understand that Boogie, uh, you know, is coming off a pretty, pretty catastrophic injury, but you know, he's also been one of the best big men and and probably the predominant, you know, big offensive big man in the league for the last five years. Even though he's been on terrible teams,
2: yeah. If he, you know, if, if you got the
3: chance even to sign him and play for you know from January through the playoffs, and you think your team's gonna be in the playoffs, it's five million dollars. Like he's he's making less than than pretty much every center. I mean, I think. I saw a list but it was like he's like you know 46 out of 48 or something something like that in, in salary is but why not take a chance what do you have to lose if, if he sucks this year it's a one-year deal release him and, and let him go you know
0: I I completely agree um with with boogie not going to the Lakers and the Lakers basically being at a point where they picked up LeBron and then some pieces are, are, is there a decision either because there's been a few names that have been floated out there there's John wall there is um uh i just said his name i mean anyway, there's john wall there's uh, Kawhi, obviously. Kawhi, that they've been looking at as far as trading partners if they can't get either one of those two players is it uh but be- just basically like put the best team you can together for this year let's hope our young stars grow and then be willing to package all of them for anthony davis literally everyone except for magic and lebron and your trophies you sell to get anthony davis who is to me the biggest free agency free agent pickup or the ability for the free agent pickup since LeBron in 2011. I think it's bigger than KD 2 years ago. I think Anthony Davis changes franchises.
3: I mean, at this time in their careers, I would say that too cuz, you know, KD no one can guard him, right? Mm-hmm. LeBron can't guard him, no one can guard him. You know, if you say different at this point, I think you're just you know, blind, but AD is even more to an extent than KD, I think because he's got, you know, a lot more post game and, and is lankier and, and, you know, he's not as good of a shooter, but he can definitely impact the game just as much. So I, I think it's, you know, definitely up there, but even if you add him to the Lakers with LeBron, does that beat the Warriors? Does that beat the jazz in a couple of years? Does that beat, you know, the, the Rockets, even, even with them losing a Reza? I don't know, man. I, I just don't think, you know, LeBron's in the twilight of his career. And obviously he, average you know great numbers this year was unbelievable as always and not to discredit him but you know the way that he played this year I think kind of demonstrated that you know you got to have some other guys that that are able to pick up the slack because he can't carry that load like he did when he was you know 25 26 and and was you know on both ends of the court just going crazy
0: no I I agree I agree and you you mentioned an interesting team in swaying away from the Lakers to the Utah Jazz and I think the Utah Jazz went from a really grim future and losing Gordon Hayward to picking up Ricky Rubio, turning him into a really interesting point guard when giving the talent around him and then just hitting it out of the park with their draft last year. And now, like you said, they look like, if not this year, next year, being one of those teams that will challenge the Warriors, it will, definitely not going to be the Rockets. I don't think the Rockets are going to be strong in two years, but the Utah Jazz look really good.
3: I mean, when you look at everything, including the cap situation, you know, top to bottom roster wise, the Rockets are going to be in trouble after re-signing CP3. Mm-hmm. They just can't add anybody else, and you know, all of their stars, including Eric Gordon, you know, Harden, Chris Paul, they're all getting older, man. They're all pushing thirty. Chris Paul is what 33, 34 mm-hmm. going into the year, and something like that, that. And that's an old
0: um, old 33, 34 because he's six foot tall and he's he's a banger. He's a guy that's going to get that was a drive in the into the paint and dish dude for most of his career. So he's not LeBron at 33. He's a, no. he's Dwayne Wade at 33. And that's scary. He's been
3: hurt. I mean, he's been hurt for the last 5 years. You know, how many how many years in a row did they lose the clippers lose in the playoffs and it was Chris Paul getting hurt in the first round and then them getting swept, yeah, you like, know, so
0: and you pointed out I, uh you pointed out that I mean sorry I didn't mean to mean interrupt you. Uh you pointed out that he played uh what 42 minutes a game in the finals this year that he had on his legs and the injuries that's gonna get worse not better
3: yeah absolutely i mean you know go back to the jazz though I, I do think you know you know cap situation they don't have a lot of money committed i think they re-signed favors for it was less than 20 million a year mm-hmm. um mitchell's on a rookie contract Exum just re-signed for nine million a year you know which is basically peanuts on a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they got Rubio still, you know, they've got, a, they got Grayson Allen in there as much as I dislike him. You know, I think it would be a pretty serviceable NBA player. I mean, it, it seems like they're on the rise in their cap situation are going to allow them to, to probably bring in some pretty good guys. So it should, it should be interesting if they keep playing well. I mean, Mitchell seems like he's the type of guy that can be, you know, a, a Kyrie Irving heir apparent, you know what I mean, and be the next kind of up-and-coming guy. Like Steph and, and Clay and all them were five six years ago. Yeah, you know, he, so
0: yeah, I can I I, I agree with that if he continues to progress, I think he has a little bit more Dwayne Wade in his game than Kyrie. I don't see his like I don't see that quickness in him um, on the. Dribble. No, that's a good
3: that's a good comparison. He's definitely more of a vertical guy than Kyrie, right? He, he's a he's a hell of a jumper. I think we all saw that in the dunk contest. Yeah, uh,
0: I think that when you look at look at the Utah Jazz and like you said with the draft picks and stuff that they took two different mindsets i think there's two different mindsets in the nba and there's people that are going to pay for stars and, and th- but those teams that you have to realize that when you bet on that you don't have a bench uh, what we saw with the with the Houston Rockets going against the Warriors was the Warriors had eight people that they could rely on the Rockets had six cuz the other two they played off the off the court with the the small lineup so when you're at six that means everyone's got to play 44 minutes and when you're older, you can't do that. The Utah Jazz, I feel like, are doing with the Warriors, uh, with what the Philadelphia 76ers did, which was primarily do savvy trades with middle-of-the-road middle people. Basically say, how many people can we pick up that we think were are better players than they were la- last year because of the team that they were on? If they're on our team, they'll be better. You do like savvy trades like that, and then you just draft well. If you can draft well yep. and get people on rookie contracts, then you can re-em up. Re-up them smart, and then you could be where the Warriors are at, which is basically what they did with picking up Boogie. Is if Boogie comes comes alive and plays really well, Draymond and K- Clay are gone, and it's Boogie, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry, and then they can do that, or they can. See, keep. I don't know, man. I don't or, know if I agree with that. Well, I think I, I think Draymond or you're gonna have to say goodbye to Draymond or, or or Clay next year anyway, just because of the amount of money you're dishing out. Just if it was just those four. I like. I think if you keep Boogie and then Boogie really like comes on, I think you can try to keep Boogie.
3: I have a hard time believing Boogie stays there if he has a good year. I think he's going to get a max deal elsewhere. Yeah. Um. The the Warriors don't retain any bird rights on a one year deal, so they can't offer him more uh, money. Than okay. Else. Okay. I
0: thought they could offer him more money because he was on the team.
3: No. No. It has to be a multi multi year deal. Um. So they don't. You know. That's where it's like. You know. Maybe they can re sign him again. But I'm 99 percent sure his thinking going into it was coming off a major injury, I'm going to go get a ring, you know, and, and probably play pretty well in the playoffs and then try to go get paid probably because, you know, he's getting up there in the late 20s too, where it's his, probably his last max max opportunity he has. It um, should be interesting. I mean, if I were in, in uh, you know, Myers' sit, seat in, as a GM, i got to be, I mean, Draymond Green's, value on both ends of the floor, both as a ball handler and your number one rim protector and defensive stopper that can switch pick and rolls. I, to me, he's, you know, and, and obviously the the Warriors drafted unbelievably well, you know, as much hate as they get. I think I would probably get rid of Klay um, just because I think you can replace his scoring and defense with a couple guys and not lose as much, you know, emotionally from leadership as a defensive anchor. You know, to complement their firepower that Draymond brings. So, uh, I think, you know, defensively, he's just too too valuable. You know, we've seen, we've seen him constantly just harass guards and people coming off screen rolls and shut down the Cavs three years in a row,
0: you know. So, that really depends to me on whether Draymond starts to shoot better. Because the unspoken secret of last year's playoffs and the end of the season – was Draymond was shooting in the 20s, the low 20s from three. Mm-hmm. And he was basically being used as a decoy. I don't know how many times they ran the pick and roll where he basically held the ball, someone ran at him, he just basically dished to the guy behind him, which is the, all they were doing was, hey, get it to Draymond in the post, people are going to freak out, he's just going to dish it to the guy standing directly behind him and use it as a screen. If Dr- if Draymond doesn't, I'm not saying he's going to stay that bad, but if he stays that bad, it helps the argument for Clay And your, it also, the you know revisionist history... You have here is the Abaca versus Harden thing. I think that that is a, a thing to consider in what are you valuing? What are you picking? Where is the league going? Because I tell you what, while it seems the center is non existent and not needed with Anthony Davis, if Boogie Cousin comes back, with Joel Embiid, with the, the, the guys that were drafted at the top of this draft, DeAndre Ayton and, and players like that, if they play well, you could see not necessarily a revitalization of the center position but a reinventing of the center position where you're looking at more athletic guys that are able to move, that are able to step out occasionally, but are predominantly around the rim that aren't able to be run off the floor because of their athletic ability. And then you look at Draymond as being more of a liability to defend those guys.
3: Oh, you think? I mean, I, I think he defends all those guys he talked about pretty well. He gives all those guys fits because he's still stronger in hell, you know, and, and but he's six, quicker six. too. He's 6'6", six, six, 220. I mean, yeah, but he's got a what six eleven wingspan. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess when I look at it, you know, the league overall, who's who are you more likely to easily replace Clay or Draymond? And to me, there's a reason all you know DeAndre Aiden and guys like Davis and Boogie and 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 Joel Embiid are are so highly valued. It's because you just don't find a whole lot of six eleven guys, seven foot, seven one, seven two. You know, and, and not saying they're all perfect, but most of those guys can at least hold their own where they're not, you know, basically Zazna Pachulia or Kevin Love who cannot stay with someone that comes off and pick and roll. So I think it'll, you know, to me, you know, I think clay is one of the best two guards in the league. No question At this point he's one of the best shooters, maybe next to Steph, but you know, you can find another six, eight guy that can play defense and you don't really have to have his scoring. If you're the warriors to win and continue to win at a high level, You know, it's obviously uh, great to have, and they, you know, blew people away in the playoffs. But, you know, you lose Draymond, it's not going to be as easy of a replace, you know. And I think we saw that a little bit with Jordan Bell struggling. They barely played Zaza, David West through the playoffs, and and JaVale McGee played well, but, you know, he he doesn't bring anything on the offensive end. No. We miss how many dunks? Yeah. (laughs) You know, so. Yeah, I think. It'll be interesting. I mean, they're definitely in for a, a, a tight cap situation, but. I think you obviously keep Steph and Durant as priorities and then from there figure it out. Cause if you have those two guys add a couple, de- couple defenders, a couple shooters, they're still, you know, going to be in contention. Yeah. But I mean, the, if the West keeps getting better, you know, watch out for my Mavs. The suns are going to be decent. The jazz are always, you know, recently on the come up. And then don't forget about Portland either, because you know, Portland could, Portland could surprise people. I know they got swept this year, but
0: they, you know, that experience played,
3: alone will motivate them and hopefully yeah. make them a little better.
0: They played a buzzsaw on Anthony Davis that absolutely changed the game. I mean, they, you, no one saw that coming at the All-Star break, and then it just broke wrong for Portland this year. Um, I'll say this is uh, the closing argument about uh, Golden State before I take it to uh, the next point that we wanted to talk about. While you can replace, and I, I feel like I, I understand where you're coming for, because who's to say that Devin Booker can't be Klay Thompson if he's in a better system? You know they both can score seventy points in a game, sure. but Clay has done it when no one else on that team could do it. And I'm talking on closeout, like preventing that team from getting closed out. Golden or Golden State versus uh, the Thunder when they were down three-one, Clay saved them. Um, and in this, in these series, in this last playoff games, there were games where it looked like KD and Steph couldn't do anything or they weren't communicating. And they were turning the ball over. Clay hit shots. He drops buckets. And that clutch gene and that ability to just flip that switch whenever. And I think that's 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 something that I would really pause on before moving away from. But so basically with the Warriors set up to to be the favorite for this year and at least next year is the rest of the NBA other than the 76ers and the Boston Celtics and the Rockets, are they pretty much just laying it up and letting the like admitting that they don't have a shot? Cuz it kind of looks to me like there's like there are other teams setting themselves up, not for this year, but basically 2019 and 2020. And it seems like a lot of the leagues giving up on 2018.
3: <laughs> I mean, after what they've done, they've done I think you have, you're smart to plan, you know, a couple years down the road rather than, you know, can I compete and be top top two, top three in the West at this point? Um, I don't think the East is doing that in any way. All these teams in the East seem like they're getting a lot better as well. Um, you know, from the Celtics, really, I think if they just keep everybody together. I didn't really understand the discussion with Kawhi because I don't think trading away three or four assets and losing no, depth, uh, no. if you're the Celtics, is is a beneficial thing for your club. And it seems like they all like each other and play really well together. So why not keep them together and grow? Mm-hmm. You know, same with the Sixers. The Sixers obviously signed, you know, traded for Wilson Chandler, which I think was a great move because he seems like he'll fit in. Signed that that I don't even know how to pronounce the guy from Minnesota's name, and then re-signed Redick. You keep you start keeping these teams in the East together. All of a sudden, you know, and 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 they're all under the radar, right? Because everybody's focused on the West. You let these young guys grow and and continue to add pieces. If if you're the you know Sixers, the the Pacers with Tyreek Evans um, and that core they have, and then you know obviously the Celtics and, and the Raptors and, and Wizards. I think that's your top probably six teams there. Yeah, you know those teams could those teams can make some noise, and and the Celtics especially, as deep as they are in the way that they have so many athletic young wings that can score and defend mm-hmm. the Celtics are the one team over the past two to three years that have not struggled with the Warriors' style. Yeah. You know, when two yeah. years ago, they were the ones that broke the the warriors. What, what was it like 25 game win streak or something like that? Yeah. The 27. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think, you know, I think the Western conference, yes, you definitely build for, you know, two, three years down the road. that's what I think the Lakers are doing. Um, eastern conference though i mean if you can get to the finals losing the warriors they you know everybody talks about the Cavs being a a disappointment or what have you i don't i don't necessarily look at look at it like that you're still the best team in your conference that's a that's an accomplishment and something to build on if you can do it correctly like you know danny Ainge or or you know colangelo before his burner accounts started popping off we're doing
0: Mm -hmm. well so this is my thing i think that i completely agree with you i I think for the next two years, it's really going to be West heavy, but, but, it's strictly because most of the teams in the West have built up on the talent of the NBA from 2008 to 2018, that talent won't be around for very long. I think you also have to look at players like KD, um, who have made it kind of clear that Golden State, that this is where they're going to be for one to two more years. And then he's going to do his own thing after that. I think he wanted to learn a better type of basketball learn how to play as a team, learn, learn what it looked like on a team where everyone contributed. And now he wants, I think he is more willing to accept the challenge of taking his own mantle. And I think that you'll see some of these players move back to Eastern conference teams when they're, you yeah. know, when their contracts are up. But I agree with you. I think Boston is the most exciting team to watch next year. I think with the amount of height that they have and the amount of athleticism that they have. And with that coach, anything can happen. Uh, Philly is a team that I think is going to continue to grow. Uh, Toronto's at an interesting point because it looks like they're, you know, they're going to make changes. Changes isn't necessarily bad when you have a lot of talent. So I'm excited to see what the East has. But I understand why, why certain teams are banking on the future, are trying to get 2019 to 2020 because of not only the change that we're looking at with what's happening in the NBA, but also what the NBA is looking at changing in general with the one-and-done rule. So you're looking at 2020, 2021, having basically two drafts of the college players you've been waiting to come out, and all of a sudden an influx of high school players you didn't expect to be there. The NBA could look a lot different, um, but I think for the next two years, it's it's going to be you know Golden State's to lose.
3: Oh, no question about that. I mean, <laughs> they're just so stacked, and you know if they if they keep you know Livingston and and Iguodala in particular, and then add a big guy, you know, and the, keep Cousins as well. Uh, I just, there's no way they're getting beat, you know, unless they get injured. That's the one thing that, you know, the the Warriors have had pretty good, you know, injury luck recently. Um, you know, Steph, KD, they've they've had injuries in the playoffs and been able been able to come back, you know. So
2: mm-hmm.
3: we'll see after these long runs because I think that's what you saw with LeBron a little bit was, you know, he's been in the finals seven, eight times in a row, which but is team. crazy. He's basically played two, what almost a season and a half in the playoffs in last year's
0: yeah he's almost he got tired yeah
3: you know so so we'll see what happens when when the the warriors are you know after next year if they win it again which i highly doubt they they won't um you know if they start to have a couple injuries or something happens then it gets really interesting and all of a sudden it opens up if if kd or curry or draymond or you know boogie at some point get a, a major you know season ending ending injury yeah, you know, you, you got to all of a sudden have some hope, but we'll see. You know, don't discount Dwight Howard going to the Wizards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I think there's two players that you have, like two players that could change the NBA for or, or what happens in the East and whether they contend with Boston. is Jason Tatum and it's Ben Simmons. I think if they take steps, if Ben Simmons can figure out which hand he shoots with and can consistently <laughs> hit shots – or at least be some offensive threat. I, T.J. McConnell cannot be the golden son of Philadelphia and come off the bench and be expected <laughs> to put up 20 a game. He is great. He is a bench guy, though, and the fact that you had to start him to get offensive points from the, the one position sucks. But seconds Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, to me, looked like – he looked a lot like LeBron when he came in his rookie year. Like nothing – there was every tool in the toolbox was usable for that guy. And if he takes a significant step – you mentioned it already. The Warriors already play really well against the or the Celtics already play really well against the Warriors, and with the height and the ability they have, I I want to see that. I want to see if he takes a step. What that looks like going against KD, and he's not at all going to back down from this challenge. After he talked crap to LeBron's face after dunking on him, you could tell he's not afraid of anyone. So
3: <laughs> the stage does not intimidate any of those Celtics players. No, you know what I mean, including Rozier, including Jalen Brown. You know those those young guys came out and they they played well and you know honestly it wasn't any hate towards LeBron I was pulling for the Celtics just because I thought they would give them a better run you know give the Warriors a better run in the finals, um, just the way they play in their depth. So yeah, they would have won one should, game. I mean they had yeah and, and I mean the Cavs should have won that first game too and that would have changed the complexion of the series but they didn't you know so I, it, it'll be really interesting I think you know the West you know is going to be fun to watch but I'm going to be really really you know more probably more intrigued by by the Eastern conference this year, just with, you know, LeBron leaving, it's finally like, hey, you know, you got a lot of up and coming teams or teams that were kind of on that verge of of being really good, you know, outside of like the Celtics and the and the Sixers and the Raptors, right below them, you know, everybody's kind of retooled and and got brought in some guys. In particular, I really, really like Tyreek Evans going to the Pacers to play with Miles Turner, to play with Old Depot, to play with Jeff Teague. Or not Jeff Teague. Um, you know, the, the guards that they got there. Um, it, it should be interesting. I'm, I'm really excited to watch it.
0: I am, too. The last thing I wanted to bring up is, do you, so when LeBron signed a four-year deal, one that just lets you know, he, it could be a two. He's definitely staying there for four years. Um, I think it's really, really awesome that he did it at four years because it just adds to the theory that he wants to play with his son because his son will be graduating that year that he's in free agency. And... Whoever wins up with that lottery thing is probably going to be, be the guy that gets LeBron, right? Because he's just going to whoever drafts his son, that's the team he's going to go to.
3: I mean, I think it, I, I get what he's doing, where he wants to play the son, and, and you know, it'd be a great experience, and all that. But that's still a, a long way off. I think. I mean,
0: his I son looks I, really good, according to like scouts. Does, they, they think he looks no, good. absolutely, absolutely. And he's you
3: know he's got the 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 lineage, or you know, however you want to say it. But I mean, I think LeBron moved to LA for non-basketball reasons, and, and I think he also trusts, you know, magic. I would have a hard time believing that, you know, he's going to leave again. Maybe he will, because by that time he'll be, what, 37, 38, somewhere in there. Um, but is he really going to leave L.A.? I mean, that's probably where he's going to live when he's done. He's, he wants to be in movies, wants to make that money. He can't do that anywhere else but L.A. And the Lakers are a storied franchise. If he brings them back to relevance, it's just another chapter to his legacy. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, but the other thing to think about when, when I'm looking at that is, you know, what if you would have signed a, a four or five year deal with the Cavs instead of putting them, you know, putting Dan Gilbert and and Griffin and David Blatt and Tyronn Lue on, on this kind of like, you know, power trip, like, you know, I don't even know what the right word is, but giving them a little bit of security where, Hey, we're not going to retool our entire lineup, you know, in January and trade everybody under the sun and then going to the playoffs, you know, they, they did that a couple times. It was just a constant constant kind of upheaval in Cleveland. I, I would be, you know, it would. I feel like it would have been different had he signed that kind of deal in Cleveland. Um, but, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I, our la- I'll i take that point as our last one. Um, I'll say this. Dan Gilbert lost the ability for LeBron to do him any favor- favors after he left for Miami in that scathing letter he wrote, which – basically kind of talked about LeBron in a way that was kind of archaic you know, white right. employer, black employee kind of thing. And he was never getting any concessions from LeBron again, even after they walked off the court and he'd like barely even touched that dude's hand to say goodbye. There was no love in between those two individuals. And I think more people, I think on my side, I understand that more just from, <laughs> from just watching that and how that unfolded. But yes, I agree completely different scenario. If that happens also, they fired, when they fired Griffin, they lost Kyrie too. That's the dumbest thing in the world to me. Like, it, you got to do – if you're the Cavs, you have to do everything you can to keep him, and they lost him. And that franchise looked screwed. I mean, they I – mean, you're talking like they're 10 years from being good again. I mean, and don't
3: get me wrong. I don't think, you know, what LeBron did – I don't have any problem with that. You know, he wanted to control where he goes and have a little bit of control over his career. I get that, and it makes perfect sense, and he should do that. My thing is, you know, the whole time it seemed like he had a foot out the door – do you think that changes, you know, Kyrie's mind a little bit if he's on a four-year deal where he knows that he's going to be playing with LeBron and they have that little bit of security where they can build through the draft and still be competitive? I, it's a different situation, but I, I mean, I definitely think you're right. You know, there there is something to be said about you know Dan Gilbert being a piece of shit when he left. You know, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things I think could have changed where maybe they could have worked it out in Cleveland. And he really would have been literally, you know, the the, the king of of Ohio. Not that he isn't now, but he won have left twice. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And he, but as soon as he won that championship, he bought all the goodwill he needed from that city. I will tell you this as my last thing that I'll say: I think a lot of players are eyeing New York. I think they're. I think a lot of players are eyeing the Knicks. I think KD. I think Kyrie. I think Cousins. I think a lot of players because that is the a big market that is starting for a championship that no one's really taking the chance other than, you know, money Back Mello. He went there. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people are, are looking at that team and thinking, you know, what if we made it work there? And with James Dolan considering yep. selling the team, I think it got a little bit more exciting for players.
3: Well, if that happens, definitely very attractive, but I think, you know, what you're seeing a lot now too, is, you know, with KD and boogie and Kyrie, they don't want, you know, culture and, and team chemistry plays in a lot more than you think to where, guys decide to go sign, you know? And I think if Dolan's still there in New York, to me, if I'm, you know, and obviously I have no idea what I'm talking about because I'll never be an NBA player, but you have to take into consideration that management and, and the ownership group is just dysfunctional. Do you really want to put yourself in that environment every day? Cause there's something to be said about the Warriors culture, you know, about the Rockets culture, about the Sixers culture, where they're building this this team culture where they're, it's, it's us versus everybody. That's how you win, you know, and mm-hmm. you can't duplicate that or fake it. And so I think what you said about, you know, KD going to the Warriors and then maybe going to Washington and going home in his later years, that's where it kind of makes sense where, yeah, I'm going to go to the Warriors, win a ring, and, and understand the culture and the the way that people act and then go kind of take that somewhere else. So, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't go to New York. I just If Dolan's the owner, it's going to be dysfunctional, and, and they're not going to sign the red right guys. They're, they're going to be on that Joe King contract for the next two years still.
0: Yeah. Yeah, while well, he's like going through the forests of Brazil and shit like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, man, for Shouldn't coming we? on. I wanted to make sure we got to run down this free agency because I know you had some feelings on it. And your Mavs, you got before we go, you got to say how excited are you about having Doncic?
3: I mean, I'm super pumped, man. I, I just it's one of those things where the Mavs have been absolutely garbage the past couple years, and I, I kind of see with him and DeAndre a little bit of hope. You know, what I mean, at least to be competitive and and make the playoffs. So as a Mavs fan. I'm really excited about it. It should hopefully be a good year if Dirk can, you know, not have those glass knees give out on him in January.
0: Yeah, hopefully he will send Smith him Jr. off
3: and win a series, maybe.
0: Yeah, and you got Dennis Smith Jr. right.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, he's funner and hell to watch. So I'm excited. It should, and then don't forget Jalen Brunson. You know, he, no one talks about him being the 52nd, 57th pick, somewhere in there. But you know, I feel like he's a he's a really good backup guard to Dennis Smith, or even a combo guard with him, where you know, you start to get into some pretty good defensive and, and run and gun mashups with the Mavs and Doncic. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting, man. I'm I'm excited to see him play and um, hopefully we can be competitive with those guys and keep it together and, and they're successful and, you know, don't blow up like, like past, you know, kind of rookie younger teams in the Mavs uh, system have done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I will let you know that me, Justin and Vic are hanging out on Saturday. So get your phone ready for some text messages. I'm sure. After a few, uh, after a few, we'll definitely be bombarding your phone.
3: Uh, I appreciate you saying that I suck at basketball, and I want to point out that you still are incapable of making a left-handed layup. So,
0: there's that, JM. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good week, brother. Good talking to you. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. See you guys. All right, so that was Drew and Vic. That's going to wrap up some of our sports talk for the rest of the summer. We're going to kind of take a break for a while. Uh, we have some really exciting guests coming over over the next few weeks. We have. Uh, So people are going to talk to us about media In the age of Trump We're going to be talking to people about the Gaza Strip That are actively writing papers about it We're going to talk with a Trump supporter Over the next few weeks And kind of have a debate over some things So exciting exciting content coming up Um, But now check out our song of the week Which is by uh, Thomas J. Whitmore And uh, I think
2: you guys will like it Thank you Good morning In less than an hour